And it's your boy, Roshan Gomez. You are listening to the Rumor Roy podcast. We have a special guest in the house. I call him the king of podcasting. I don't know whether you agree with me. Mr. <laughs> Norman Chella. What up, brother? Hello, hello. The king has arrived. No, I wouldn't, I wouldn't, I wouldn't call myself king. I, I, I'm... It sounds really awkward for me. Um, <laughs> no, I mean, man. I, I'm embrace it. <laughs> embrace it. Just take, take take that clout, brother. Just take that clout. <laughs> All right, I will. I will receive it. Yes. Your your king has arrived. Uh, but yeah, I'm. You know, uh, I'm the most obsessed about podcasts, at least uh, to my knowledge, to people around me. So yeah, you know that. I guess that has um, had the side effect of having a bit of reputation. Yeah. As to someone who brings about the podcasting scene to everybody <laughs> across Asia. So here I am. Yeah, and I, I want to talk about that. But before that, just to uh, set this up nicely for everyone or to uh, also safeguard our interest here, set up some disclaimers. Norman is uh, royally drunk right now. <laughs> <laughs> He's just gone. He's wasted, you know, completely, completely out. <laughs> I, I can still handle it. Don't worry, guys. Don't worry, guys. <laughs> You're so, gonna have a fun time. You're so, so time. you 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 had like a little small family function. Yes. So you've been indulging just a little bit. Yes. So you told me that beforehand, and my reaction was yes, this is great. <laughs> this is gonna make for good content, and I proceeded to go down and get myself a glass. Um, we, I, I think you know that this house has gone through COVID because all the alcohol bottles were empty. Right. So there, <laughs> there was only a bottle of tequila. And a bottle of something called hard liquor. So I have no idea what it was. So I, I, wait, 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 wait. Is that the, is it, is it just labeled hard liquor? That's all it's labeled, hard liquor. That's all. That's all. Oh my God. So <laughs> I, I, I went with the hard liquor. I sprinkled some water in that glass. Uh, so, hey, cheers, my man, to a, to, to a great episode. Cheers, cheers. Someone put a, put a clink sound here. Because uh, <laughs> yeah, uh, we, are, we, are, we are drinking right now, in mm. case you're only listening. I'm not sure if you're doing the video version, but. Um, mm. I have with me an aged wine, I think over 20 years. It's a special bottle mm. just uh, from the family, family function because it's been a while since we've gathered the family all together. So my dad brought out this bottle and we we're like, okay, cool. And uh, I am down only one, ga- one glass <laughs> and uh, it's been hitting my head because, you know, COVID and all. But, uh, how, how does it feel to see your family, I guess, after a prolonged time, right? Yeah, um, it's more on… Rather than not prolonged time, it's more the disruption of the regular, the regularity of it. Yes. Because we tend to meet up with each other often. So in this case, I'm talking about my cousins, my uncles, my aunts. Right. We tend to have gatherings. Uh, you know, Ibans tend to, to gather a lot uh, when it comes to, you know, doing parties or weddings, etc. And because of COVID and the pandemic and everything, moments like these are rare. So you take the best out for mm. moments like these, hence the one and everything. So as much as it's hard uh, to keep that kind of habit up, I think because we are still ca- able to do it, mm. it helps a lot. Like it's, I think we're going to be doing fine. So. I mean, it, it's a weird social experiment and you sort of realize how much, you know, we there's this sort of uh, perception that we all hate each other, we all annoy each other most of the time, that, you know, the world is too crap, the world is too full. But then when you suddenly are forced to stay at home, you just realize even for introverts, there's this desire for, for, for connection, right? And, yeah. and, and, and how virtual connection is just not the same. It, it, it helps, definitely, right? It, it, it does contribute. It, it is an aid. 
But I don't know, just being in the presence of other people, the energy is just different, you know? Yeah, I… Funny that you say that because I think I had a I had a talk about that. I was in a group discussion with a couple of other people mm. uh, in a salon or a you know like a deep dive topic as, exploration or as, discussion as kings do as kings do. as kings do <laughs> yes ah tis tis the routine uh, of royalty uh, to partake uh, in these humble discussions philosophical and, discussions <laughs> yes. because we want to you know we talk about these things to find out more about ourselves right because mm. that's the end goal of every conversation obviously we can totally talk about that in the, um, later on but um I think one of the parts that we talked about was the concept or the relationship with physical presence because of these salons or these discussions or these Zoom meetings, etc., they're all done virtually, right? Like I'm talking to you right now. I'm not with you. I'm seeing you on pixels on a screen. Yep. Yet, we can still articulate to each other. We can still send messages. We can still talk, etc. So we were talking about the differences between why is it that I can converse with you virtually and why is it much more meaningful to do the exact same thing but in person? So beyond the non-verbal cues, beyond the verbal cues, beyond the observations of the person, like their body, their outfit, etc. Uh, one person brought up, one person brought up collective distractions. Mm. And the, the jarring part of that, and I think this is pretty interesting, because we see each other's rooms when we're on Zoom calls, your distractions may not be the same as mine. Right. So as an example, one of the people, one of the people actually attending that talk there was a window in the background. And there in the US, it started snowing, right? Mm -hmm. That's jarring for me because we're in Malaysia, right? The only time <laughs> it snows is when we, you know, tuned down the freezer to like minus 22 or something like that, right? But then this person had their, their, their background. It's just this vista of winter. Winter right. not really existing uh, in Malaysia unless you go to a higher elevation. But no, if it, if it starts to snow in Malaysia, you can pretty much, that would pretty much signal end times are coming and I would, <laughs> I would end the podcast and go before my altar and start praying for some sort of salvation. <laughs> I would love it if we had winter here. I, you know, actually, actually, wouldn't it be interesting to observe the, the chaos if there's winter in Malaysia? Like people who are not used to it, people who are like, Oh my God, it's winter. Oh my God. Now we don't have to travel to Japan to go snow. I can do all my Instagram pictures here, right here in KL, in like Klang or whatever the hell the, yeah. the snow is. Uniqlo stocks would skyrocket <laughs> like mad. Just like how Top Glove stocks are going up now, Uniqlo would be the next stock option. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, but you know, you, you, you make a… I take your point on that, that being in two separate spaces… When you do a recording, for example, a podcast recording live, right? You both in the same room. Yes. The 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 feel is just so much different, right? You're you're within the same space, you know. I, I don't know. I, there's some like you said, lah. There's uh, non-verbal verbal cues. So so many things that play into it. You know, I, I was watching um a Bradley Cooper interview about um. <laughs> actually, this is so funny. My parents were listening to watching one of those like. Uh, song competitions, I don't know, uh, The Voice or whatever, right? Yeah. And so, A Star Is Born, uh, that song is always sung now. And so, because of that, I just started Googling and I went on this rabbit hole of just talking Bradley Cooper and Lady Gaga, right? So, he was talking about the whole process of directing the movie. And he said like how the concerts had to be done live, right? Like, it was like they would actually go to festivals like Glastonbury 
And they can't play the songs because they have to, you know, the movie's not out. So he would just go up for five minutes and sing to himself and he would write it into the script that, oh, they're going to throw bottles at me or whatever to prepare for anything. But he said it was like so important for him to do it in person because like, and if you watch the movie, he really wanted to capture that authentic concert vibe. So he said like, uh, he first realized that vibe when he was drumming for Metallica or whatever as Bradley Cooper does. And he said he could notice the lead singer's sweat rolling down his back and juxtapose it with a huge massive crowd. Right? right okay. And so that whole thing of like the authenticity, like it's not just the crowd. It's also you with your back aches on stage and it's hot and it's the lights blaring in your eyes, the sweat falling on the floor. All of that makes that experience, right? And yeah, Zoom and online stuff, it's, it's just a little bit too safe, a little bit too manufactured. I don't know. It's also… Which does bring up another point I think we also brought up. That, that also reminded me. It also brings up the level of engagement with our senses. Mm. So if you, if you put yourself in the shoes of Bradley Cooper, as any young aspiring man wants to be in the <laughs> shoes of what? Hottest man of the year, 20-whatever? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, controversially, controversially. Controversially, yeah. Uh, Bradley, if you're listening to this, I'm really sorry. But you know, yeah. we, can, we can talk on the podcast. He's a, anyway. he's, a, he's a fan of this podcast, by the way. Bradley Cooper. Nice. Okay. <laughs> well, shout out to Bradley Cooper. So, uh, so Bradley, all right? So we're put in his shoes and he sees the crowd. He smells the sweat. He engages in the experience, the ambience, the energy, the adrenaline, right? He hears the, the, the cheers, the boos, the electric guitar riffs and everything and all the, the beat of the drum. So there is greater engagement. His body is embodying the entirety of the experience. Mm. Contrast, contrast that with like trying to do the same thing like, I don't know, like a live concert, but on Zoom, you don't get that feedback. You do. As, but you only engage two senses, which is your, your eyes and your ears, right? That's only as much as you can do. Because they're not there, you can't engage with the entirety of the rest of your body, which means that your body doesn't have to work just as hard to receive the same level of supposed intentional feedback. Yeah, I, I actually have a good example for this. It's when you see those like comedy shows and they're depicting a car ride scene. So they normally have like, they're in a car and then there's a background and then the car just goes like up and down to mimic or, or right, they roll right. over. And you know so obviously that it's fake, right? Yeah. You know so… Because they, they are not driving. You know, yeah. they're not… Like you said, they're not engaging all their senses. They're just using… Uh, they're just verbalizing maybe some eye contact. But that's about it. And, and, and that's a good point. La. Yeah, it's… And, and, to, and, and there's a tolerance to that. Especially for each and every individual. So when we see people trying to cope with the need to go remote remote first or, you know, work from home, etc. That's, that's not… When you've been spending your entire life engaging with all five, all six of your senses, because I count six, I count thinking as another sense, which is totally other random theory I have. Mm. One of many crazy theories I have in my head. But when you are… When you have spent your entire life engaging with all of your senses, mm. with people, being part of society in those ways, those are angles… And then you cut them off because you need to save your own life. Mm. That's a, that's its own kind of torture. It's it's crazy. Like I I feel bad for. I, I don't know about you. Here's a question for you. Right? Who do you feel bad for the most due to the pandemic? Mm, I okay. I I feel the worst for 
for the lowest in society. And I don't mean to come off as morally superior or douchey because I'm very much, I think, a kind of capitalist and I believe that ev- everyone has sovereignty and everyone should buck up and, and fight yeah. and, and earn your place, right? But where, for example, uh, lawyers who have firms, they have safety nets where money is being made for them. But like uh, a shoe cobbler, for example, who's sitting and earns day to day, that's his brain butter. And you say now that you can't work, where the hell is he going to get the money from? Right? Yeah. I, I mean, I, I think, I, sorry, I, I think your point is more on the social component. Uh, but, you know, but honestly, that, that's who I feel uh, the most sympathy for, actually. No, that's fair. That's a fair, that's a fair point because survival is key, right? You're going, to, you're going to need it. And then if you're, if your way of contributing back to society, because the way that you earn money is, is your relationship with everyone around you. Yeah. Right. It's civilization. That civilization's contract with you, you earn money, you pay back to the government, and then you can set up the precedence for your shelter, your food, your water, and the basis for the foundations for your family or your social aspects, etc. And I get that, right? I, I feel, I mean, of course, we can always agree to disagree. True. Uh, the, the category of people who suffer the most from the pandemic uh, are students. Right. And, and that's, this is because all of their basic needs are met and they don't have to work for it because their responsibility and role is to throw all of their senses into the environment in which they learn to pass, to graduate. And not only that, in a social context, they have to learn with fellow students who are, and I'm, I'm thinking from a high school student perspective, who are only just mature enough to thrive in that one environment. Mm. As they are not prepared to embark on a quest to find out what degree they're going to do or what job they're going to pursue after, right? You're still learning about the world. You're still learning your social norms. And you're, you know, building up your angst as uh, most people are uh, growing up from the <laughs> tender ages of 13 plus. Uh, I have many stories on that. But you put them into a school and they learn from their mistakes, their failures, their, their misunderstandings, their misinterpretations. And then you take that away because of this disease. Now you have to try to learn all of that through an app on your laptop. And to me, that sounds extremely tragic because mm. they, they, they're not going to go out of their way to find an independent business to start or like work, et cetera, because their, their goal is to satisfy the conditions that were given to them to graduate and then find their place later on in life. But then they're denied the ability to mature in parallel with that. No, I, I, I get exactly what you're saying. You're yeah. saying that, look, with adults, even though they're given a bad hand, they have flexibility in terms of how they can respond. Whereas a yes. student can only be a student. A student exactly. can't be anything else but a student. They don't have a choice in the, the matter. So they've been, been served a, a sucky card and they have to just play that card, right? Yeah. And, yeah. And, and I totally agree with you. I wonder, right, how this whole situation is molding the, few, the, the coming generation. These kids are going to be so weird. They're going to be so, so dysfunctional. Well, that's what I predict. <laughs> la. That's what I predict. We, we were ready before this whole thing lamenting how disconnected we were and how we needed to make a comeback to face-to-face, you know, real connections. But this situation actually forces us to become more virtual. And I just don't know, like you said, how, how that's going to affect the kids, man. I mean, there are some opportunities here because 
you have these, you know, the, the more the generations grow, the more symbiotic their relationship with technology and the advancement of humanity is. So even in a remote environment, they're able to adapt to it way better. But at the cost of their teenage lives, which, you know, to some, they may have, shall we say, a lot more, they're a lot more sensitive to, to bad environments or bad outcomes that are as a result of immature decisions. That's a possibility, right? I'm not saying that adults don't do that. They, they do. There's a lot of adults that mess up, guys. God, I mean, come on. But when you want to cultivate and nurture these potentials, these like amazing, amazing teenagers who are going to be amazing thriving adults, but then they are harbored or they are, shall we say, hindered by COVID. Uh, it does make me very sad, although I think they will adapt a lot faster than current generations. The, the only reason why we see that at the moment in that we can cope better is because we have the, like you said, we have the flexibility to adapt. Like we have the financial capability, we have the network, we have the proximity. And I think that's when, that's when doing something like podcasting really helps because if you're not going to, if you're trying to survive and you don't know what to do, the mm -hmm. best thing to do, the next best thing to do is to seek help. And there is, and there is the option of being in a place where you can have greater options. So optionality is one of the best ways to create a safety net for yourself yeah. currently in modern society. And you build, do something like a podcast or a blog or you know, a YouTube channel and you attract all these followers, these fans and people that you can connect with one-on-one. -on -one. Yeah. It doesn't matter what, what stage of life you're at, whether you're a student, whether you're an entrepreneur, whether you are elderly, whether you're retired, you can find a place and a safety net digitally with mm -hmm. people around you. Yes, there will be flaws in terms of communications because you're not in person, but we're going to have to toughen up and actually deal with that. And I think at that point, you're going to want to be out there and uh, let your voice be heard. Yeah, definitely. I mean, with kids, it's just really, really tricky because like, for example, even with me, um, I teach uh, catechism, right? To these 15-year-old these kids uh, every Sunday. And so we have situations where a lot of these kids... Um, not a lot, but definitely a substantial amount of them uh, feel really insecure about the way they look. So it's so hard for them to put up, to, to turn on their cameras. Or if they turn on their cameras, they'll only put it up to, like they'll only show your, their forehead or like side face, right? And it's just because they're so insecure of showing the way they completely look. Like legit, it's so hard to get them to show their full face, right? And, I, and that's one of the beauties of being, being forced to integrate with a lot of people. You're forced to face… Of course, people have many ways of bearing their insecurities. But to a certain degree, you're forced to face your fears, right? And staying at home, it creates a cocoon of… You know, it's, you, you don't feel any danger per se because you can just delete that person or block that person. So you're… It's almost like… Uh, I, I feel… Uh, okay, and I might be wrong… Uh, like you said, they're adapting, but you you don't develop a sense of how to detect danger, right? Like imagine when, uh. when remember when we were young, right? When there's always the threat of an elderly person coming and talking to us, and then us having to like, okay, is this person a friend or foe, mm. right? And having to figure that out. Or what if a friend comes and talks to you and he says something or she says something inappropriate, and it's awkward. Okay, now how do we deal with that? Right? And you only learn through those experience, where, experiences. Whereas with online, it's… 
you can you can subvert all of that lah. And I don't know whether that's a good thing or a bad thing. We're seeing a lot of this behavior regardless of generation though. Because when the internet came about, uh, the <laughs> the weird age of the internet was was running amok. Uh, especially when we have these weird websites and these MySpace accounts and people adding each other. Yep. Uh, and and MIRC, uh, just chatting, like just lots of chat boxes, like chat messages and chat apps of randoms with random usernames like connecting connecting to each other uh, and just messaging each other. And other than the usual creepy ASL, which you say when you <laughs> get to know someone, yeah, um, yeah that, that's always going to be sort of a canyon we have to cross when it comes to how should I trust the person online? Yeah. Maybe it'll be easier to determine whether or not this is a safe decision to proceed with or a safe relationship to proceed with when it's in person. But when it's online, you're only the only thing that will tell you whether or not it's a good or bad thing is the information they'll share out Correct. and the information that you, you can find out about them. Definitely, right? definitely. So that's that's so many different ways to like protect that or hide that. And it's, it's scary. But I think I think they'll be fine. Like Man, kids you know, are a lot smarter than they look. <laughs> that, that, that's true. You know, this is why I wanted to talk to you, La Norman. You're, you're, you have such insight. You you carry yourself with such uh, a grace and class, right? <laughs> your thoughts, you know, like I remember when I, I I listened to your episode with Aisa, right? I still remember it. Um, that at that time I I didn't know Aisa very well, I didn't know you very well, and I had just started a podcast, so I was and I'm still grappling with a lot of issues in terms of podcasting, like the way I speak. Right. You know, the continu- continuity of my speech, the tone of my voice, uh, you know, engaging people and all that. So, your your podcast was really interesting because also numbers, right? Getting the numbers of people to in- to listen to your podcast. And I remember Aisa asking you something about your voice because you have a very distinct voice made <laughs> for podcasting, right? And she was asking you something like, you know, how how do you to develop that voice, right? But instead of like talking about like vocal exercises or instead of talking about um, um, going for uh, classes to to play with your fluctuations or whatever, you started talking about finding your inner voice first, yeah. right? And when you find your inner voice, that sort of uh, uh, flows out, right? And, and that really, really did help me. Oh yeah, appreciate that. That that help you. It's 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 huge, it's huge. Especially when you are going to start a podcast, fifty mm. percent of the show is your voice. Yeah. No matter what, you're going to be the host. You're going to be interviewing someone. I mean, let's 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 put this into the context of what I've been calling a conversational podcast. So I think I'll write a I'll write a blog post on that. It's going to be a pretty long one actually. Mm. Uh, but and the rise of conversational podcasts, etc. When you are launching something like that or when you are continuing something like that, 50% of the show will be carried by your presence. And as a listener, the only thing that will remind your listener that you are there is your voice. So inner voice serves as the foundation for the mission behind the listener listening to this voice in the first place. No matter what. right? Because I can… I can have a deeper voice. I can have a you know a higher, um, higher pitch in terms of how I'm talking to people, 
but the point is, why am I speaking in this show in the first place? What is the mission behind this podcast? What is the point of this conversation that we are having right now? When I'm very clear about that, that sets the intention for the tone, the melody, the speed, the pace, the questions, yeah. which I've been calling the quality of questions, which is like a very, very important part when it comes to trying to develop a powerful conversation uh, and more. All of that accumulates to what is your voice? And then when you want to develop the articulation of that culmination, mm. that is when you look into methods, right? Like the, like, well, I think I mentioned this in the ISA episode, actually, the, uh, the level five voice, like mm. the, the 10 levels of your voice from volume to intention and how you can make the most of each and every level to push a certain intention or convey a certain message. And then there is also your relationship with silence as well. Definitely. How comfortable slash uncomfortable are you with silence? Mm. And when you want to make the most of silence, then you will make the most of the point you're trying to make. Right. Because people don't really remember the words that you say. They don't really, sorry, they don't really yeah. remember your content, but they do remember in a deeper way the sort of tone of your episode, right? They, it's like uh, remembering a warm hug. Or, 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 yeah. Right? Something like that. They, they, like, you know, I had many teachers, right? From when I was in high school or even church or whatever. I don't remember anything they taught me. But I can remember the way they taught me. Right? I remember their personas. And I think that's, that's what you're talking to, right? Yeah, yeah. I think uh, there's a quote by Maya Angelou where it says mm -hmm. like, uh, people don't remember what you said. They remember how you made them feel. And so I, I'm taking that to mean I'm as smart as Maya Angelou. <laughs> I'm just going to take that. That's my takeaway from that. <laughs> hey, so, okay. I, I, I want to I ask you. I want to ask you, man. Um, do yeah. you agree? Okay. I make a distinction between OGs and legends, right? So for me, OGs are the, the, the podcast that really started out early on. So... For me, those are those podcasts are TBNTs, uh, Geeks in Malaysia, right. uh, uh, you know, uh, podcasts like that. Then, then I I have podcasts I call like kings, right, or queens. So that category I put you, I put Renegade Radio. And for me, the distinction is I think kings or queens are people who like just live, breed podcasting, which is you, <laughs> which is. Uh, renegade. Do you agree with that assessment, that those categories? And do you think there are any Malaysian podcasts that should be added into the, that groups? I, I guess I, I agree. Now you, the, the way that you described the, the distinction between these two the two categories, rather, mm. I think that would fit very, very well. I mean, once again, I, don't, I wouldn't really call myself a king. <laughs> uh, I think I just call myself the most obsessed or the most mad yeah. <laughs> when it comes to podcasting. Um, I, I, I think I've written in my journal that this year is going to be the year. Uh, a little bit like taking the analogy of Lunar New Year where you have the annuals and all that. Mm. I put this year as the year of the mad scientist right. because I just want to be so obsessed with podcasting. I just want to breathe it. That's a fun yeah. idea actually. We should do like yeah. our own version of the Lunar Race but our own characters. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I've, I've done it. I've been doing that for years actually. Oh, and, serious? And yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, it's just a fun thing. It's, a, it's a, one of my habits from like writing fiction a lot. Right. So… This year in the mad scientist, uh, to be so obsessed that you want to experiment 
and in your spare time and your your hobby is spent thinking about this one thing, right? So just as mad as insane, right? Mm. Like a mad genius. Mm. Uh, I would put, yeah, I, I I agree with how you're doing the the categories. I would put you, I would put you up there as the king, well, mainly because yeah, I'm being I'm being serious here. I'm being serious here because you are setting. You're sending an example for a discourse in Malaysia that is not heard of in many other shows. Mm. Most of the time, when you have a niche show, or when you have, oh you know, yeah, a niche show or a show that fits one category very well, you've come to expect the conversations. Like mm. you've come to expect what topics they're going to talk about, yeah. right? With you, with with Rumor Roy, I don't know <laughs> what what you're going to talk about, right? <laughs> every episode, every episode is a gift and a surprise. Thanks. Not anyone, not many people can do that. Not many people can do that. Yeah. Like I, even even outside of Malaysia, yeah. Like even outside of Malaysia, not many people can do that, because I know a lot of podcasters, and I can predict what they're going to talk about. I can predict what they're going to ask, and there's nothing wrong with that. Yeah, yeah, right? definitely. There's nothing wrong with that because it just shows that you are extremely specialized and you are honing in on what works well for you. But knowing how you're doing the show so far, uh, your Interests are pretty much as broad as I can possibly try to imagine it. <laughs> Which means that each and every episode, I'm like, what the hell are we going to talk about today? And how am I going to enjoy it? Um, so I, I'd say you're a king uh, up there. And if you don't feel… If you don't feel like you deserve to be in that category, like personally, mm. uh, I will let you know that you have a spot there waiting for you to take it. Hey, man. So that, that's, take your time. That, that's really, really high praise coming from you. I really appreciate yeah. that. And it's funny because um, when I was younger, I still remember when I was in high school, I went for a report card day, right? And my my mm. class teacher, when I think I was from four, told my mom, Roshan, Roshan is really, really talented, but he's a bit like uh, jack of all trades, but master of none. Meaning that, you know, he, 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 he goes and does everything, but he never really does well in anything. And that kind of used to always be a weakness of mine where I would always dabble in a little bit, but never commit fully to something. And I feel, I'm hoping that this weakness of mine is actually a strength in the sense that it's because that I like a lot of things. So I just don't have time for one thing in particular. So I'm hoping, hoping that this, this is my redemption story. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, for anyone listening, I don't know, I feel like I'm talking in a very host way, but for anyone listening uh, and for you as well, uh, that quote is actually incomplete if you don't know. Oh, sure. So the full quote is, a jack of all trades is, is a master of none, but oftentimes better than a master of one. Oh, shoot! That is the full sentence. What? But they all, people always cut off. So here's the reason why. People always cut off and stop it at the first half. Right. Because, because institutions and societies for the past, what, 200 years, I believe, mm. at least, mm. have focused on a specialist-oriented pathway when it comes to trying to build a career for yourself. Because we've been… Like, if you try to track the, the jobs that your like, families have been doing for generations, it's always, oh, inherited. It's always like, oh, you know, farmers will inherit their farms. You know, grandparents will just pass it down to their next kin. Mm. Uh, unless you want to, to study in something, then yes, you, you pursue only one path because people feel that you must be specialized to reach to this point, right? We can see this in many different parts. And I think you're, you are a great case here because lawyers, you have to be quite specialized in mm. the, the, the world of law mm. 
and how that is applied in many different ways. Mm-hmm. Maybe you will dabble in multiple fields just to understand how that is applied. But at most, you have to come from the perspective of, because I'm a specialist in this field, my questions are catered to this specialty. Mm-hmm. That has been encouraged for so long that people who call themselves or people who label others jack of all trades <laughs> make it sound like it's an insult. But to be honest, I embrace it so much because I'm like, oh yeah, guy, keep on going, right? Let's, <laughs> let's, let's keep the praise coming. Uh, I, so, you know, uh, as someone who is inherently a very large proponent uh, of generalist mm. behavior, uh, keep going. Like I would prefer you to be a jack of all trades because if you're going to, narrow yourself down to becoming a master of one, mm. uh, then there is only so much that I can talk to you about until you have nothing else nothing else to say. Yeah, and it's also a human tendency to want to box people in, right? We, we yes. I mean, we kind of walk around and it's a way to live your life. Um, it's a tool to live your life. You categorize things and clump things together. It, it cuts time in terms of the way you orient yourself in the world. But, yeah. you know, boxing people in can also limit people. I mean, and that's the beauty of podcasting, right? You are taking away those boxes. Like, you know, one example is uh, the Fashion Week podcast, right? Um, uh, what's the guy's name? Arnold, Arnold, and 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 um, and what's the other guy's name? Uh, I I actually like their podcast. I listen to it a lot. But I can't remember his name. Yeah, uh, what is it? Arnold and I'm gonna have a look really, really quick. Oh man, how can I forget this? Arnold and Arnold and Okay, but anyway, uh, Anil's a DJ on a radio station, right? And he, he's on hits. And I've never been much of a fan. You know, I was a fan when I was in high school. Now I'm not because their content is for high schoolers, right? That's, that's what they're catering for. And because of that, they limit and box themselves up so much in terms of what they can talk about. So when Anil goes on a podcast format and he doesn't have any limitations, he shines so much, I think. He, he be, his mm. quality, you know, I'm like, dude, if you were talking like this on a radio station, Malaysian radio would be so much better for it. But it's because we have this desire to box people in to make content safe and, uh, appet- uh, and consumable for the masses, right? It, it just lowers down the quality. Um, yeah. Yeah. I still can't remember that. Guy. When you're pandering, when you're pandering to, uh, I'm still searching for it. When you're when you're pandering to a large audience, maybe there's certain obligations because you are, you know, you're tethered to a broadcasting network. You want to get those big numbers in, right? Yeah. And when you want to have uh, a topic, whether fashion or something else, and there may be a tinge of controversy, Mm-mm. yet you you choose not to dive into that yep. because it is safer to do so. That speaks more about yourself than it speaks about other people. So I really applaud uh, those who speak their mind and state their motion mm. a lot better than those who are like, they, who default to what is considered normal. Yeah. Um, and the reason why is because I'm not going to remember you if you're going to say something normal. It's, it's not, I'm not trying to insult you or anything. It's just, if you're going to say something normal, it doesn't excite me. And when it doesn't excite me, why, why remember it? Yeah, you you it's, you become one of uh, one of many sheep in the fold, right? Yeah. No yeah. one, no, you can't distinguish between. Sorry, I remember his name now, Lucas, Arnold and Lucas, Lucas, Lucas right? So yeah, you you can't distinguish between 
cheap unless you look really closely. But otherwise, from a glance, it's just the whole, it's all the same thing. And I mean, there's a place for that, I suppose. You know, nothing wrong with being a sheep. But I mean, to a certain extent, doesn't everybody want to be that shepherd? Or doesn't everybody want to be the David of the Goliath? Not one of the soldiers in the background? You know, you know, that's a pretty interesting question because I don't think many people are. Yeah. I think, I think, what, they, I think what they do is they want the benefits mm. of David. Mm. But they don't want to become David. Yeah. Yeah. There's a big difference there. So let's, let's, let's think about it for now, right? So, so you have a podcaster, I don't know, getting 10,000 downloads a month or per episode or whatever. And they're making money of, a, of their podcast. They're a successful podcaster. Mm. First of all, whoever that is, I want to know, get to know them because I want to look at that money. But anyway. But let's, collab, let's collab. Let's collab. <laughs> let's collab. Let me put you on my show. Right? Because that's how we do it. Right? Content, content creators collab. So if a successful podcaster, they have a success story. They've been doing this for all their life. When you, as a listener or as a fan, are looking at their show, you don't look at everything. There's no way you would because you're not there in the back end. You don't look at the tears they have shed, all the work hours they've done struggling, the failed deals, the failed episodes, maybe like something happened in the family, but they still had to record. Maybe all the social media posts they have to write, which spends, you know, takes like what, six hours or something like that. And then you have the day job. And then you have the family commitments. And then you have all these things that… And on top of that, what is left of the human being after doing all those obligations is their love for getting their voice out mm. onto the world. Mm. And there's nothing more beautiful than having someone who after they've done everything that they're obligated to do, still has the energy to put up an episode for a show, still has the energy to state their mind, still has the energy to agree and disagree, mm. still has the energy to challenge people, right? And that brings apart, like that brings about someone's success story. Someone aspiring after that won't know the gravity of everything that they have to go through just to reach that point. I, I think I think you would have a similar experience to mine in that when I started podcasting, I had to also reconcile now the reality of me failing. Yes. And, yeah. and that's a big thing. And I realized why a lot of people don't try or don't do is because once you try, once you do, you have to accept that you might fail. And if it's your first time, there's a high chance you are going to fail. And that sucks because you're going to have to go through all those people. And I'm not saying there's a lot of them, but there's a loud minority that will revel in your failure. They're going to be like, oh, that's why like, you want to be popular, right? Mr. <laughs> Podcaster, right? Mr. YouTuber, right? So now, you know, and, and they revel when they see you fail because that sort of affirms their decision not to try, not to do. I want to say something inappropriate here, but I'm not sure. Am go I for it, to, like, go for it. Swear Please, or, go, for okay. it. go for it. Yeah. I've always wondered about haters because like, I don't know if they're like, are they like jerking off while, while watching us fail? It's kind of weird. Uh, I have to, you know, I had to, it's, it's strange. Luckily, I didn't get that much flack from growing these things. But I've heard stories from a couple of other friends who are starting their own things. They show me their hate comments and then I'm like, what the hell are you doing with your time commenting on people's YouTube videos acting like this or uh, commenting on their Instagram and like, you know, body shaming or insulting people, etc. on a public platform when I can track back to who you are on the internet and basically 
tell you off to your your job and just get you fired for being an absolute piece of shit. But putting that aside, mm. it makes me wonder if you are a podcaster or a content creator in general. The first question you have to answer is, what is your relationship with failure? Right. 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 You have the, of course, we have the rose-tinted glasses looking at the eventual money we're going to make or the success we're going to have from doing all these episodes. But once you get past the first, the one-month test, which is however many episodes you want to do in one month, and then you ask yourself again, are you going to do it again? If the answer is no, great. You learned a lot in that one month, right? Make the most out of that lesson. That's a freaking degree right there in one month, right? If you tried, I support you. I will respect you. I will listen to your show. Mm. And if you say yes, hey, welcome. You're a podcaster. Mm. That's it. At that point, you would have already knew the answer. You've already known the answer to failure because you would have messed up the first few episodes. I, I messed up so many episodes. Like I have a few where I could not release them. I have a few where I'm not allowed to release them because of legal reasons. <laughs> I, have, I have one where I stumbled. I actually bit my tongue interviewing someone. Oh, shit. I had to edit that out. And I could actually hear myself going, oh, fuck. Right? <laughs> right? Do you, do you, I'm not a, I'm not a, I'm not a perfect success story, yeah. right? Like if you call me the king of podcasting, I earned that crown. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I didn't I wasn't given it. Like I wasn't born into royalty. I had to fucking earn that shit. Yeah. Like it's not it's it's podcasting podcasting only rewards the brave. Mm. And podcasting also only recognizes the scared. Mm. Because when you're scared, you know what to do then. And then once you know step one from then on and you do step two and then you step three and you record and measure that progress, right? You recognize the gap and the gain. The gap is the distance between you and the goals. The gain is you looking back and realizing just how much you've done. You're on your way to having your own crown. You're on your way to becoming the own king of your own category of your podcast or your show or your topic or whatever. And by that time, I will salute you. And I mean, if we're going to take the analogy of kingdoms to kingdoms, I'm going to send... I'm going to send in, you know, an emissary and we're going to have a talk on the show because uh, I'm always up for conversations that And way. I think that's why right now, at this moment where we are present, the podcast scene is so tight-knit and right now it's so pure because it's still relatively small and new, right? I think as it goes bigger and bigger, assholes are going to come. But right now, right now, it's so super supportive and so super cool because we're all, we all know I think we're all wrestling with that that fear of failure. And yeah. like you said, you have those dicks who are so quick to comment. And it's so weird because we're all just small potatoes in the grand scheme of the world. You should be going after this freaking… You should be going after the Mark Zuckerbergs and Jeff, Jeff Bezos of the world. Not small, you know, like mom and pop podcasts that are, are popping up. You, you know, you just… You know it's just pure hate for the sake of… For, 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 you know it's more like a projection more than anything else, right? Yeah, it's a kink, isn't it? Like, isn't it like a turn-on or something? I don't know. I've never had that. Have you ever had that kind of feeling before? Have you ever had like someone that you, that you hate or someone in high school because of their success and then, and then you just want to shit on everything that they do? I, I've actually never had that happen. I've had, I've had thoughts yeah. of like, oh, I don't like that person or whatever, whatever. But I don't go out of my way to let them know Yeah, okay. So full and frank disclosure… I have had feelings where I've seen people and I feel like this guy is looking for attention or this girl yeah. is like just looking and you know, pure out like, you know, like if if they uh, rescued a dog, they would make sure that there's a phone 
to video them rescuing that dog and they will make sure it's posted right. up. I've had those feelings, but like you said, I've never commented and I've not... I, you know, they're human feelings, but you you kind of have to reca- recalibrate and, you know, that's that person's sort of journey and they will do what they want to do. It's not really my place to 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 to, to kind of judge them in that sense. But, and I'm very cautious because I have a tendency of doing this. I will go and talk to other people about that person and like, hey, did you see that? Don't you think that's a little bit shady? And then I'm just kind of trying to self-check myself and like, don't be that douchebag lah, right? Don't be that douchebag. So it is a, it's tough. Oh, okay. Don't worry. I'm with you there. I judge them a lot. Don't worry. I'm not, I'm not, a, I'm not exactly a, the nicest person in the world. I, I judge people a lot. Um, I don't take action on my judgment, mm. which is a whole other story, right? Like I leave you, I leave them to their own devices, but I, I do have a little bit of judgment when, you know, someone, someone wants to take a selfie of them giving money to a homeless person. Like, who gives a crap? Like, I mean, like, I mean, you get off on all the likes that people share uh, on that thing. But or, or sometimes, you know, people post about like BLM or feminism and you know their track record. Then you're like, right. That's, right. that's weird, man. Come on. Come yeah. on. You know? Yeah. And in fact, I, I have, I sometimes feel a sense of respect for people who put out contrarian views but again, not for the sake of posting contrarian views, but because they're sincere and genuine in what they believe. And those people you can dialogue with because they're not doing it insincerely, right? They genuinely believe what they believe, whether it's racist or homophobic, but at least they genuinely believe that and they're not doing it for clout or whatever. And you can talk to them. You can engage them, right? And, and you can have a debate. But if you're talking with someone who just wants clout, they will change at every freaking social issue. It's that moral relevance, right? It's yeah. like uh, it's like when uh, what's what's that? Which which cathedral was that that burnt down in oh, France? Oh yeah, and then and then everyone. Oh, I was so triggered. Notre Dame, Notre Dame, right? Notre Dame, yeah, yeah Notre yeah. Dame. And I was so triggered by the audacity of a lot of the masses in in blaming and or insulting those with power who are willing enough to donate to recover Notre Dame, mm. like to recover the cathedral. Mm. Because the way that they would express that would be something along the lines of, oh, you spend so much money on Notre Dame. What about the Amazon rainforest? Or what about the homeless here mm. in Malaysia? Or whatever. Like, it's like the, the what about yeah. cop-out reasoning. It's, it's like you're, you're not, you're not um, sincere enough. You're not good enough. You're not holy enough in yeah, yeah. my realm of moral values. Yeah, yeah. Oh, because you're rich, why don't you do what I say? And yeah. then you'll be considered a nice person, right? What the hell? Like, let, let people do whatever they want with their own money. Like, if you have $100 million to, like, help a cathedral, you can go ahead. Uh, I don't see them pushing in that much because, I don't know, it's, it's, I think maybe it's just a dynamic of… Uh, you know, it's a, it's, of, it's, a, it's a degree of narcissism, right? Because yeah. you're, you're basically looking at someone doing something good and then you're sort of evaluating whether… Um, you're evaluating how good it is and whether it fits within your sphere of what good is, which is so just dysfunctional. But even just people posting photos of like when they traveled to Notre Dame. Oh, oh, I so hated that weird. so much. Come on, oh. guys. What are you all doing? It's so weird. Like, it's the most weirdest. Like, because it serves no function. Like, at least yeah. with the ice bucket challenge, you could argue that it serves some particular function, right? In, yeah. in raising funds. But that Notre Dame posting photos didn't do anything. Yeah. Oh, man. 
hey, this important monument of this country has just burnt down. Pay attention to me, please, please yeah. pay attention to me how and did, comment how, and how, like. How how did you make it about yourself? That's crazy. Yeah. Oh man, <laughs> this is. <laughs> yeah. So okay, I, I wanted to 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 go back to your point about that risk of um failure, right? Yeah. And I mean, you manage, you run, you organize multiple podcasts, right? You have. Uh, Anti Fool, Pod Lovers Asia, This Is Norm, Tempered Field, uh, Fables. Uh, what's that one? Rome, Rome FM, right? Yep. Rome, Rome FM. Is there anything else? Uh, Ants Under the Sun as well, which is basically a in real life version of Tempered Fables. Uh, but those two narratives are on pause at the moment. I'm actually writing the stories for them like in my spare time. So that's always I mean, exciting to look the, the, Again, this is why I call you a king. Just because the amount of grind that you're putting in, right? So I wonder about this Two questions in relation to doing all these podcasts. Number one, how do you maintain your voice? Like we were talking about having a voice, right? How do you maintain your voice when you're juggling so many damn podcasts? And I'm sure you're doing, because you do a lot of coaching, a lot of pro producing on the side. How do you maintain the authenticity of your voice? And number two, how do you sort of regulate the fear? I mean, I'm handling one podcast and I'm so freaked out, right? How the hell are you doing with so many podcasts? <laughs> you know, what, I don't what, have an answer what, to this. What happened, to, what happened to you as a child, Norman? <laughs> What's, what traumatized you so much that you need to, 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 to do uh, multiple podcasts to, 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 to handle that trauma? <laughs> it's those haters in high school. I, hate, I always hated them. <laughs> no, but I, I, have to, I have to be honest. I don't really have an answer to, for that because I've always been guided by my own interests. Mm. And sometimes my interests last for months and sometimes they last for years and sometimes they last for maybe a season or two. Because my the timeline for my podcasting journey is Tempered Fables first, so that's fiction. And then from there, it's Pod Lovers Asia. And then from there, it's Ants Under the Sun. And from there, it is Antifold and now it's Room FM. So that's that's three interview shows. Two narrative shows. And this is Norm is just an audio version of what I write, right? It's just my blog, but in audio format. I'm just reading it out loud. Mm. So your first question is on how do I maintain my voice? Uh, I don't. I let people know I'm one and the same for all of them. Okay. The, the only thing that I can control, because there's only so much I can do to control or influence someone's impression of me. You can't do so much anything beyond that, right? The only thing I can do is to make sure I recognize the segments or questions that I'm asking in relation to each episode. So one example is that because I do three interview shows, there's a lot of questions only catered to specific episodes, mm. uh, like specific guests uh, and or specific podcast contexts. You have so, to, you have to uh, remain, remain within the theme of the podcast basically. Exactly, right. yeah. So it'll be very weird if I am on Rome FM and I ask a guest who is a researcher in creative development in the brain about the Asian podcasting ecosystem, <laughs> right? right. That, that'll be pretty off, right? So the way that I would help with juggling those contexts, so the basically cultivating the skill of context switching is to batch record multiple shows at the same time. So that I know that the next three days, for example, are recordings with people from one show. Mm. So I will stay in that context for a couple of days straight, which is perfectly fine. 
uh, I try my best not to mix and match interviews. Like, oh, tomorrow this morning will be an anti fool, and then tonight will be Rome FM. Like, there'll be too much uh, for me because because yeah, I still have to prep for these for these episodes. Mm. So the context switching can take too much energy. I don't want to do that much. So the way that I do it is that I would batch a lot of episodes and stagger them. So like, let's say one month and you do these three shows. One Week one would be anti-full recordings. Week two would be pot lovers recordings. And week three would be Rome FM recordings. But then when week two comes in, I'm already editing anti-fools episodes. Yeah, so, ba- so basically you don't have to switch uh, between roles too crazily. You're, you're, if you're doing Port Lovers Asia for week one, you're only on the Port Lovers Asia mindset in terms of the recordings. Correct, correct. Right, 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 right. Yeah. And, and for the other shows, uh, for Temper Fables and Ants Under the Sun, there's actually no work needed to write that because that's my hobby. I write fiction as a hobby. Mm-hmm. Like in my spare time, I'm like, I'm always with a keyboard running around the house. I have this like, you can see this because we're in video. I have this wireless keyboard and like the receiver. Mm-hmm. I bring it around to, to different parts of the house and just type away on like a screen mm-hmm. just to write stories and interesting thoughts, etc. And I use that as fuel to write a story. So I don't have to think about developing my voice because my voice in, is in its own most natural form that I don't have to fine tune any part of it. Mm. in order to make the most out of each and every specific context. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I mean, it's working so far. Uh, it's, not, it's not easy. Uh, guys, don't, please do not do six <laughs> shows in one go. Your, uh, your, your, your grind is crazy. I know a bit of your schedule. And you have sort of boiled it down to a science, right? You, you wake up a particular time. You work until a particular time. You sleep in a particular time. Everything is sort of structured. It's almost like if you watched um, what's that Will Smith movie? I can't remember the one with when uh, Jaden was young. What was that? Pursuit of Happiness, right? So he ah. he he calculates every little bit and he, to add up a particular outcome. So he like notes that oh you you spend five minutes at the water cooler. So he's gonna cut that out and accumulatively that's like I don't know one hour a day or something like that. You boil it down to a science. And I mean I've heard you talk about your schedule. It's a little bit like that. In the sense that everything is sort of intentionally done. Yeah, uh, to a certain extent. Um, I, I schedule my non-work. Mm. So I, I do sort of the opposite of what you expect. Mm. Um, I, I do wake up 5 a.m. every morning because I, I start work from 6 a.m. and I finish at 6. So that's 12 hours. And, and then from there, it's uh, 9 p.m. to 1 a.m. is recordings because I have inter- international... Uh, international interviews that I have to do, right? So, you know, guests from US time zones and stuff like that. So that's, you know, it's, it's okay, right? Six to six and then nine to one, right? And then I have like five hours, four, four or five hours to to sleep. Uh, when it comes to trying to, shall we say, schedule something to do, etc., cetera, uh, have like a huge master task list of everything that I need to do with a checklist and process for each and every one. If I'm developing this episode, I just have to look at the checklist and then just mindlessly do the episode, right? Because I've done the majority of creative work in the conversation that has led to the recording of that episode. It's just putting the stuff together and then just like mindlessly like, oh, whatever, uh, just putting the episode together. I schedule my breaks. My breaks are more important to protect. Mm. Stuff like I will walk the dogs around this time. I will have breakfast. I will have lunch. I will go in a different part of the house and read a book for 30 minutes. I will take a nap. Mm. I schedule my naps. Mm. It's kind of weird. Part of my work is scheduling my naps. Uh, because 
Because like you would have those shower thoughts where you're most relaxed and therefore you have like this time to synthesize everything you've been thinking about. I do the same in naps and I do the same in reading books. So I schedule that, Mm. right? It's like, oh, now it's the time for you to walk the hell away from your laptop because you've been staring at it for like six hours. Mm. Go downstairs, read a book, think about life and breathe. Um, When it comes to doing the actual work, I do track my… I do something called interstitial journaling where I write what I'm going to do according to the minute. So like, for example, at I think I wrote just now at at 14.01 p.m. talk with Roshan for Rumoroi, mm. right? And then a tag for interactions, etc. So I can keep track of what's happening. And I can write notes here and there, etc. And I keep track of how much time I'm dedicating to each and every task or each and every observation or activity throughout the day. And then I adjust from there. Because sometimes I overestimate my capabilities Mm. and some episodes may take longer because there's something happening. Or I'm writing a post and I need to find more research and there's not enough… There's not enough research or not enough data so I need to rewrite everything, right? So, you know, lots of… Lots of 60-minute blocks, lots of 90-minute blocks, and lots of three-hour blocks when it comes to focusing on one thing at a time. Yeah, I, and, I, I, I think I yeah. think that's brilliant, man. And your point on being intentional, not only on the things that you have to do, but also the things that you have to not do is really, really powerful. Because I think with people who work hard, they tend to very quickly sacrifice or compromise on sleep, on rest times, and that's later to their detriment. Because the quality of your work, it's almost like a toxic cycle. I've seen this so many times, right? You have you give people too much of work to do. They can't sleep because they're doing that work. The quality of their work goes down. Then they have to spend more time fixing that work, which causes them to not be able to sleep, which causes… You know, it's just a toxic cycle that goes round and round. And, and it's such a common thing. I, I've seen it so many times. Yeah, and we don't notice it at first because we think, oh, it just it's just for one day. Like let, let me, let me, let me just let me just like do an all nighter for one day, and then we start to accept that as something normal. So we look at that as an option once again. If we're stuck, right? Oh, not an all nighter, mm. right? And then we sacrifice something that is intangible, which is our energy. You can't hold energy. You can't see it in front of you. You can only feel it. But you can only feel the lack of energy once you have arrived at that point. And, and, so, that's and, only and sometimes only until you're pushed to the extreme. Yeah. Then yeah. you retrospectively look back and then you're like, oh shit, I was tired. I, I didn't know, yeah. but I was really tired. Yeah. And the regret and the stress comes out and then you're like, oh, why didn't I sleep more? Or, oh, I should have gone to the gym or I want to take a walk. I should have done that more. Oh. And we, we complain and we regret and we try to cope with what's happening now. But in the end, it becomes another option once again, once we face the same situation again. So it's now a matter of if I can't deal with the amount of work that I can do, at least try and schedule the things that can help me rest, Mm. right? Like hard off cut sleep at 11 p.m. or something like that. Or make sure to have enough breakfast or make sure to read a book, right? Because there's only so much you can do looking at the screen for like 12 hours a day. Mm -hmm. I'm a a fan of this uh, comedian, uh, Bill Burr. Um, and he, he he does a lot of um, sort of contrarian humor, a bit like Dave Chappelle as well. So it's a bit controversial, but I think I think he's very astute, and I think he puts a lot of thought into his jokes, right? And uh, I was watching an interview he did with Howard Stern, 
and he was saying how he had been in comedy until his, I think, early 40s, right? And he was doing some crazy gig, like a, I don't know whether it was a strip club or something like that. Something uh, low, really low in the, the, the totem. And he was genuinely thinking of quitting. And he said like, you know, like, shit, I'm in my late 30s, early 40s. You know, all my friends have gone up the corporate ladder or have succeeded in whatever they, they've set out to do in their own businesses. But I'm here with like nothing. I'm like basically a loser in the societal definition. I'm a loser. And he was, he said he was so close to quitting. But then that just that one thing happened and he decided to take another day. And now he's one of the best comedians in the country, right? Uh, he's starring in, I mean, he's one of the characters in Mandalorian. He just did uh, SNL. You know, he's, he's basically slaying. But the truth is, I, I, and when I heard it, I was really inspired because it's like the story of people who want, uh, want success too quick and they stop themselves from that long-term reward. But it also scared me because I wonder, and I'm sure that there's actually a lot of Bill Burr's who didn't make it. Mm. And, and that, that, that's the fear of risk we were talking about, right? Because as much as there's a lot of people who put in the grind and they succeed, there are also a lot of people who put in the grind and fail. Right? That, that's just the reality. And it's a reality we don't like to talk about. No one likes to hear that story. But it's a reality. And I wonder, how, how do you deal with that? Oh. Is there a way? Do you ever think about it? Let's get, a, let's get into the dark shit then. Okay. <laughs> um, right. Uh, this is already… I'm not sure if this is even allowed to say, but I will say it anyway. It'll be fine. Ah, I think it'll be okay. <laughs> let, um, let the alcohol do right. the talking. So when… Uh, <laughs> Oh my oh wine. Um, so I had a I had a full time job before. Mm. I was head of marketing for a company. I predicted I was going to get laid off. Mm. That's that brings about some number of questions and worries, right? Was I a good enough employee? Mm. Was I useful? Right? Was I? What am I going to do from now on? Right? I don't have the safety net of a nine to five. It wasn't a nine to five, but still, like let's just assume nine to five. That's the something net. consistent. No? Yeah, yeah. Like I, I don't have the reassurance that at the end of the month, there is a financial safety net that can save me from whatever may befall upon myself, right? And then at the side, I started doing freelance stuff and that's how I got involved in podcasting. Uh, I think I decided one time where I want to take control of my ability to reduce that dependence on this reassurance at the end of the month for something to come in. So instead of waiting for myself to get laid off, I quit on my own terms, right? I just decided, okay, I will, I will, I will resign on this month, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, first of all, I was right. Uh, it, it turned out that that company dissolved. Mm. Like the branch resolved, right? So I was going to be laid off anyway. Uh, they had other options, but I just chose not to because I don't want to be… I don't want my livelihood to be at the mercy of, of someone who may or may not have the ability to take me to another country or another branch and then just slot me into another place without even considering my situation or my thoughts or my questions at the time. Right. That brings about then another set of questions where as a freelancer, how can you make the most out of each and every day when you know you don't have that safety net? 
you know you don't you might not be able to put food on the table like i have i i have the privilege and the i and i'm extremely grateful for this like the the safety net of my family and uh friends being able to help me and support me in this way uh so if anything bad happens to me at least there's a place to recover mm-hmm. but that may not be the same for everybody else so the way that i see that failure i always try my best to to expand my failures to the point where as if i if i can't even earn it for myself uh i might as well be kicked out of the house i might as well be kicked out of the apartment especially in something like podcasting where we're still in infancy stage here in malaysia yeah. so i have to start looking at overseas right so the 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 question of failure or facing it is something that i always confront every i mean it used to be every day but every 2 to 3 days mm. right it could be why am i not talking to enough people who can give me money or like why can i pitch my services to other people why can't i do the following why can't this be worth my time uh i start to question the activities that i sought in the very beginning because they fulfill me expecting them to have some kind of reward yeah and that is a very very dangerous mindset yep, to have yeah 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 be- because i dove into podcasting like like at the time when i started podcasting I had the job so I I did it out of love. Mm. And then I made the commitment to make it not out of love but also out of struggle which is another type of love, right? Mm. It is another it's it's a type of love where we persevere to receive the same uh, the same level of fulfillment, right? And that's and that's something that a lot of people are missing. Yeah. When when you want to have that, once you know the shape of that, the form of that, once you know what actions you should take to achieve that feeling, mm. that's when you have enough weapons to wield so that you can confront the question how am i facing my failure from yesterday so that i can achieve success today mm-hmm. that question is well asking that question to myself each and every day is the habit that i've been building up until now so that i can keep podcasting so it's whether that fear stifles you or pushes you forward yeah yeah i've weaponized my own fear that's mm-hmm. that's pretty much it like i didn't i didn't get rid of it Like I'm still scared of it now. Like I if someone asks me like, "Hey, you're so successful in podcasting. How did you do it? What's the secret?" I mean, I'm going to make a joke like, "Oh, tears and beer." Right? <laughs> but, but like but no seriously, it's it's the habit of it's the habit of reframing those feelings, those feelings of despair, those feelings of fear and just just failing. And I'm and, sure it applies outside of podcasting as well. I mean, I was just talking to a friend who's a really really talented writer, extremely talented. Like I've no doubt in my mind that she's meant to be a writer that's a call in life but she has a corporate job and that's her way of surviving and now she's thinking of of how can she leave her corporate job so she can fully commit herself to just writing but that's such a big risk and such a big again like that you know you have to face that the risk of failure right oh man yeah it it's hard and and we're all, we've always been at a crossroads. I honestly like I always want to encourage people to not leave their jobs. Mm. Because if you love say writing or whatever the hobby is, right? If you love that that passion, if you have enough passion or if you're willing to go into that pursuit, you'd be doing it even if you have a job. Yeah. I think you have to be smart about it. Like for example, yeah. if 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 like I was telling my friend, if you want to write a book, you know, and your job is making you making it impossible for you to do it like if you're working on 9 to 9 then practically and if you're also working weekends then okay there's 
there's no time for you to really write. But what you can do is try and secure a job with a strict 9 to 5. It's not going to pay maybe as much, but it'll give you enough to survive and then give you enough flexibility to do your side project. Right? Yeah, and I mean also, if you're going to be in a job where they, they bring you 9 to 9 and then also work weekends, you got to get out, man. Like <laughs> there's only so much time you have for yourself, especially when you're young and you're still full of, you're still full of delight in trying to pursue something that that is a the greatest expression of yourself, right? When it comes to writing a book, etc. Like I've seen so many stories where people would use their commuting time to write a book. Mm. Right? There's a guy who became a, a true crime writer by typing away his book, his first draft of a true crime story, on his two-hour train to work, to and fro. Mm. So so much time to write there and etc. Mm. Right? Now we don't have that two-hour commute here, mm. right? Uh, and it's the same for me. So that's why I made the conscious choice of actually waking up earlier just to uh, just to write away. Just to just to plan things, just to do tasks, etc. And when it comes to distracting myself or when it comes to trying to have fun or see what the world is, I rarely ever check like Facebook or Instagram or anything and Twitter, maybe a, a lot of people that I connect with, but I'm very high touch. I'm like, I'm in and out in five minutes and then I, I turn on all the the app extensions on blocking these websites <laughs> and then I just, I'm just back into writing. Like it's, yeah. that's, that's just it. Like I live and breathe this stuff and I'm not saying that you should have this level of obsession, but you should expect that level of struggle and you should find the best response to it according to your situation. Actually, maybe, I mean, Kobe Bryant always said it, right? If you want to be that good, you have to be obsessed to a certain extent. Yeah. Um, there was a little bit of a um, little scandal, not scandal, controversy in the Malaysian podcasting scene just a few months ago. There, I think NST did a write-up on uh, that Singapore podcast. What was it? Something private. Something private, right? I think that's the, I think that's the name of the podcast. Uh, what's her name? Nicole Lim, I think, is the podcaster. And so, like, Malaysian… I think Malaysian… Like, I remember NST. I'm not sure whether other Malaysian sites picked up on it. And they were writing about the Singapore podcast and how, um, you know, breaking barriers and, 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 and things of that nature. Lah. Because, you know, it's one of those talk about taboo stuff type of podcast, right? Um, and there was a bit of controversy in Malaysia. I think especially uh, like Renegade uh, Fashion Week, they sort of brought it up in the sense that you don't see mainstream newspapers writing about good quality podcasts that are around. Like, we don't see um, any of Renegade's pod podcasts or even your podcast being highlighted in mainstream media when the quality is there, right? And so, I mean, Renegade and Fashion Week were sort of speaking out on that. And I wonder, what, what are your thoughts? Do you think, do you think that is the podcast scene in Malaysia is just too new? Or do you think there's just we're not marketing ourselves well enough? Or do you think there's just like ignorance on, on, on everybody's ends? What do you think is the problem? <laughs> well, I think the whole situation is actually pretty funny. <laughs> <laughs> it's honestly like, I don't, I don't know what's the problem. I, re I really don't know what's the problem. Okay. Um, uh, like, is it like, because it's highlighting a Singaporean podcaster when there's a Malaysian publication or is it more on or is it more on the fact that there is an Asian podcast being highlighted? I honestly see that as a huge win. So right. like major props to Nicole and major props to the something, the something private podcast mm. 
for actually giving getting that level of PR mm. for their podcast because that is uncommon and that is rare. Mm-hmm. I don't see what is the problem with this. I see it as an opportunity because now you now know that someone at NST is willing to talk about Asian podcasting. Mm. So why aren't we talking with them about getting our shows mm. written about or getting Renegade written about or getting your show written about, right? Mm. The fact that the fact that Rumor Roy is on the top 100 of Bell of Podcast Collector, right? Mm. Like, like I myself was the one who actually put that up there. Yeah. Like, disclaimer, full disclaimer. And and I didn't I didn't tell Roshan about this, right? Like yeah, I generally yeah. I generally submitted you it. You were not you were not paid. We did not, not bribe paid. you. It, it came yeah. pretty much out of uh, out of center field. Like. You you were really, yeah. really nice about it. Yeah. I legit just messaged Roshan on Instagram. I was just like, hey, I've I totally thoroughly enjoyed your episode and I put it on top hundred mm. uh for Bella's friends. So uh link in the show notes, obviously. So Roshan, <laughs> you're you're up to you to put that on. But um but but on a more serious note, we're not marketing ourselves enough. Right. We are not. Malaysia's podcasting scene, you can call it infancy stage. But we've been throwing that term around. I think it's better that we clarify what infancy stage means. Mm. Infancy stage is what we would describe the market stability of the podcasting scene in Malaysia. It's not that there's there, we're missing podcasts. We're not missing Malaysian podcasts. We have a lot. You know a lot. I know a few, yeah. right? That's that's a lot, right? With a lot of Singaporean podcasts, we like we tend to talk with each other a lot, and we spread it out to all across Southeast Asia. There are so many. Mm. When it comes to infancy stage of markets, I mean things like infrastructure, money, mm. investment, mm. right? Economy, listener like listener attention, data, like ad tech, sponsorships, sponsorships, yep, yep. and and grants and funds and ways to help support these podcasters yeah, because yeah. these podcasts will will pop up independent or network or whatever even if that market is missing. Yeah. So formality's sake, we are at infancy stage. Yeah, I get, but I, podcasts I, I, on the rise. I, I get what you're saying. Like the revenue streams are pretty much uncharted right now. Yes. Even even podcasts like Genie Boy that's a, a, a bit more mainstream, you don't really they're not even Ming thing. They're not really monetizing it as of yet. Yeah. So exactly. it's, it's, a, it's uncharted terrain. Yeah. It's uncharted. And we are in the part of the world where we are very risk averse. Mm. How likely is it for a business or an advertising company to pitch or reach out for podcast ad slots when we don't have the data to back it up? Mm-hmm. Like, if, you know what, like if you're trying to invest in a stock and they don't give you much data, are you really going to invest in the stock? No. Mm. So it makes perfect sense. So we lack that we lack that formality. We lack the numbers, right? Because of that, any news that is related to Asian podcasting, we are super sensitive to it. So to see someone like Nicole and her show highlighted, mm. I see that as a big win because that means that is an avenue for all of our shows to be talked about as well. Yeah. It now means that the NS- NST is willing to also explore that field, right? Asian podcasting, right? Maybe, maybe not only on, on I think what's what's her topic like sexual health or mm. or taboo topics or uncomfortable topics. Let's just put it that way. Mm. But maybe on podcasters who are great conversationalists from these countries. So these are great opportunities. We just need to take away our 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 desire to. <laughs> Uh, to feel entitled to be talked about just because we have a podcast mm. and actually put ourselves and humble ourselves down to the position where, mm. hey, reach out to them and say, by the way, NST, there are plenty more podcasts here and 
write it in a way where it benefits them because they always want material. They always want stuff to talk about. Yeah. I, so, I, I think Kelvin and Lucas, uh, they've, they sort of put their finger on the pressure point in that we have good podcasts in Malaysia. We are not getting the visibility. But then you sort of diagnose it a little uh, uh, correctly, I think, in saying that just because we're not getting enough pressure, uh, sorry, not getting enough attention, it doesn't mean we have to sort of uh, not really put down, but it, it just means that we need to up our game a little, a little bit more. And then when we see other people succeeding, like for example, even locally, right? Aisa just got side Sadiq on Seek to Speak. Yeah, yeah, I saw that. Yeah, yeah that's right? insane. I was like, whoa, <laughs> yeah. like, congrats. Eh? I saw the Instagram video. Yeah. I was like, oh shit, that guy. Yeah. Yeah. So, so yeah. Aisa Seek to Speak is a new podcast. And she is, you know, she's such an inspiration because this is a, 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 a woman who manages everything about her podcast herself from beginning to end. She does all the editing. She does, she uses all the software. She makes sure that she doesn't sp spend too much money on it. So she's using the free options. She's being really smart in all the things that she's doing, strategic. And then she uh, secures Side Sadiq. And props to her, right? And, and that's just a call to all of us that we need to up our game now. Did you think about it, a freaking Malaysian indie podcaster getting Said Sadiq one of the, you know, one of the key positions in the Malaysian government yeah. as a guest? Like that, that lights a fire in you as a podcaster. That's and that's crazy because we, like Said yeah. Sadiq is like BFM level. It, yeah. Damn, man. I, yeah. I, I just think that what Aisa has done is so fantastic because now I feel inspired to be like, I I I want to up my game. I want to get I want to get guests that uh, of that caliber, and and it, it it also kind of like um, shows me that it's doable. Exactly right. Like it's these are great use cases. These are great examples, and we need more of that, and we need to celebrate it. But I honestly believe we shouldn't be distracted by just because one one podcaster has gained more exposure than the others. That doesn't give us a reason to be annoyed or angry angry about that. We don't have time for that. We're podcasters. Yeah. Right. I like. I, I I was I was really confused about that kind of response beforehand. Yeah. Because it 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 feels like no. I, it feels like I, I, yeah. We we don't know what happened from their side because yeah. you never know. Maybe Nicole herself like pitched to NST yeah. and like earned her spot there. So like massive props and and it does does bring up one question since you know it does light a fire in us to see someone mm. uh, such a key figure uh, on ISA's podcast, but. Uh, do you have a dream guest uh, here in Malaysia who you would want for Rumor Roy? Uh, <laughs> yes, I do. But I, I really know it's like never going to happen. Like never going to happen. But I always wanted to talk to Mahate, man. And, oh. you know, and, and the reason why is because, you know, when we look at America, um, you look at like George Washington, right? There's so many books written about him because he was there at the beginning. He was the founding father. And so, so much has been written about him. There's so much of demand for content about George Washington. Mahathir, for better or for worse, is something like our George Washington. For better or for worse, he's a founding father. He knew Tunku personally. He knew all the key players. He knew Kuan Yu personally. Right? He knew everything about the beginnings of this country. He's still alive. I, yeah. I would love to kind of like um, preserve his thoughts and, and his and his 
narrative lah about the past. I don't want to talk about his um, uh, thoughts now because maybe they can come off as archaic or whatever. But I want to sort of like, you know, preserve the history. Yeah. And I would love to talk to him, but I don't think that's going to happen. <laughs> really? You don't have to have find his email? I don't think it'll be… Maybe, maybe it won't be that hard. Uh, maybe ask Aisa. Maybe she she do something. <laughs> yeah, it, it's true. Like if you want to preserve, like conversations are one of the best ways to preserve history or insight or wisdom or one's experiences through the lens of the guest themselves. No, you, so when you, if, you, if you think about it, dude, imagine like we were studying American history, but at the time, the founding of America, there were podcasts. You're not going to read a book Ooh. about George Washington. You're going to listen to that podcast where George Washington was talking. And, and, and that's sort of what I mean. Like, I think future generations would benefit of having Marty sit down and just tell them what it was like in the beginning. Even though it would be biased to a certain extent. Who, who, who do you have on your list of top person that you want to talk to? Is there a person? Um, in Malaysia or like global? You can do both. No problem. You can do both. I'm going to have to think about the Malaysia one. Because I also, I also said… I was also thinking Mahathir. Oh, uh, yes. um, Tony Fernandez is probably one. Mm. Uh, mainly because I think that… I, I, feel, I feel that he is the kind of person that can talk about many things beyond business. Mm. So I'm really curious about how he navigates through that. Like I want to… <laughs> this is going to be wrong. So Tony, if you're listening to this, I'm really sorry. <laughs> but I really want to get Tony on a show just to put him in the hot seat and mm. challenge him and navigate… See how he navigates through that. Yeah. Right? So not to like… Not to like bash him in any way, but just to see how he's able to eloquently carry himself through all of his struggles as he's describing them. Yeah. Just because I respect him that much. Yeah, exactly. Right? You don't want to… If you respect someone, you don't want to pander to them. Yeah. It's not only disrespectful to yourself because you come off as a, uh, a suck-up, but it's also disrespectful to the other person because it makes them… Uh, you, you treat them like they're plushies that can't yeah. take a hit. Whereas these are men and women of great caliber. Uh, you should trust them to be able to hold their own in a respectful way, right? Yeah, of course. And they've done way more than us. Like we're, we're like, you know, we're firing up the big guns here. Like they've done way more than us. So I'm pretty sure they can handle a conversation or two for an hour or two hours or something like that. So I think it'll be a pretty okay. Mm. Um, in terms of international, uh, well, there's a few I'm thinking of from, from actors to actresses to scientists, etc. So um, Donald Glover. Mm. is one that I'd be interested in talking to just to see how he navigates through all his endeavors. Mm. Uh, Stephen Fry mm. as well. Mm -hmm. Because uh, have you heard him talk about and dive into all of his interests? Of course. Like, I don't even have to say a single thing. Like, I could just stick a mic right there and he'll talk for two hours. It's, it's just, and I would just be like, whoa. <laughs> that's, that's more than enough. And, and, uh, on, and on, the more, on a more regional level, I would love to talk to more Nonprofits mm. and social enterprises, so leaders in those spaces, because there's nothing more fascinating than hearing on the field experiences of entities that have a percentage of their of their revenue or their profit be karmic. Mm. So you can see the visible impact you have, like you can see the the people that you save from sexual abuse, or you can see the homeless kids that you've saved from the streets, etc. You can see how they grow up, how they recover, how they thrive once again. And you can make 
money off of it to sustain that mission over and over again. So like that's one of the most beautiful business models I've ever seen. Mm. I always like like to talk about that with more and more people who are social entrepreneurs. So that, I mean, that's one example. I mean, I can think of a bajillion uh, others, but you know, from like stuntmen to <laughs> to prostitutes to mm. to ex presidents, um, maybe even a criminal. I want to talk to Joe Lowe. Like if he's Ooh, uh, yeah. if he's able to like, because I and I hope no one's gonna bash me for this. He's a very intelligent guy, yeah, but for the wrong reasons. Yeah, so yeah. he's a very he's a he's a pretty smart, cunning bastard. And bro, and can you, can you, I, I can you imagine how young he was when this whole thing went down? He, yeah, he was a he was basically a kid, and you know you can say like, oh, he came from money. A lot of people come from money. Yeah, a lot exactly. of people come from money, but not a lot of people can worm their way, right, yeah. through into the prime minister's good graces. He was definitely a, a Lex Luthor type figure, lah. Yeah, yeah. This guy has the cojones to like come in and like, you know, instigate all of this and then take a whole bunch of money and then give Kim Kardashian a white Lamborghini and, and like fucked off all the way to a different country on the other side of the world. I don't know where he is. I'm not gonna confirm anything. Right. So just parties, uh, FBI, parties, the parties with, with, with Paris Hilton buys yeah. like freaking what like 20, 30 bottles of champagne. Like, you know, each bottle being, I don't know, 2,000, 3,000 USD or whatever. It's like insane kind of. Uh, his life is, I think he would be a very interesting person to talk to. Yeah, yeah. Like I would hate him to the bone. Yeah. But he is so fascinating. I would love to hear him talk about these things. And if it's going to result in just, you know, a lot of bashing, etc., obviously it's not going to be a, a, an episode that would be great to hear, but just a chance to even, just a chance to even explore that. You know, it's a bit like, um, it's a bit like people's fascinations with like Ted Bundy. Yeah, I, Netflix, I was right? just thinking right? about Ted Bundy. Exactly. Right. Just this is like Ted this, right? Yeah, yeah. It's like, it's like evil can be an attraction and we can explore it, but we don't have to be it yeah. to be interested in it. Right. Yeah. So, you know, I'm not going to bash Joe though, even though he is worth bashing, but him as a uh, as a guest on the podcast would be pretty interesting. I mean, you can you can study a human being without and be fascinated with a human being without uh, affirming the conduct or, or glorifying the conduct. I think there is a way to do it, right? Yeah, I I think Norman, we have like sort of kind of organically come to the end of the podcast. <laughs> I feel like it naturally. I I kind of feel like a natural flow of it, like going up and just slowly coming down, like a nice airplane. <laughs> A landing. Uh, but I do have one more question for you. Um, okay, maybe two lah. Like for all those, because there are a lot of people who want to start a podcast now, right? It's every other day there are podcasts uh, being birthed and also uh, falling to their deaths pretty quickly. So, and you do a lot of coaching, right? You're talking to a lot of new podcasters. Um, you've, you're on the ground, lah, right? Very much when it comes to podcasts. Um, what is the biggest mistake you see for people just starting up? And two, what do you think makes a really good podcast? The biggest mistake I see people see. All right. Uh, well, I, I see podcasters or beginner podcasters make. So let, let's focus on the beginner element to it, right? You're you're at ideation stage, mm. or you're you're thinking about starting a podcast. You're thinking, oh, um, it sounds interesting. I want to start it. 
there is one key mistake you can make in the very beginning, even before you start a show, even before you record episode one, episode two. You have not defined your definition of success. Your metric of success is not written beforehand. Okay. Yeah, because for most people, I think it's starting up a podcast and then just expecting masses, mass number of people to tune in. And when that doesn't happen, they just burn out. Yeah. So just just think about it, right? Let's 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 pause podcasting first. Like let's pause the medium podcasting first. And let's let's put blogging in there. Okay. So blogging has been here for 20 years, 20, 30 years. And people more or less know what blogs are. So you can probably guess how it just works, right? You start up a website. You have a blog. You write your first post. Hello, welcome. This is my first post. I am blah, blah, blah. I'm an influencer. I talk about coffee and travel and avocado and all that, all that kind of crap, right? right? And then you write your first post and you only get two views. What will you do then? Will you stop because it's not the number that you've expected? Or will you write another post to grow that organically? And this is the kind of situation that can occur with podcasting. Podcasters, the ones who make the most mistakes, they tend to have a show. They start off with a lack of clarity in what they're going to do in the show. Or even if they do, they will still make this following mistake. They will release only one episode. And then they expect money to come in. When was the last time you've seen a YouTube channel with one video and then they're already making money? Yeah. But it's insane. Like it's it's just ridiculous, right? You can't go in with a money-oriented mindset. You might as well just work at like Maccas or something and then podcast, bring the microphone in the back of the kitchen and start a McDonald's podcast. I actually, that'd be pretty, pretty cool. <laughs> but anyway, uh, thousands of episodes uh, listens there uh, for me at least uh, as I order my, my McMuffin. So putting that aside, when you have not defined your metric of success, you don't know how you should respond to people's responses to your podcast. Mm. If only five people have listened to your episode, how should you respond to that, right? But you need to figure out what those, who those five listens are. If you just talk to your family, then maybe, most likely, all five of those listens is maybe your brother, your sister, your, your mother, your father, and your cousin, right? Mm. If your intention is to only have a show that only your family will listen to, that's, your, that's successful, you don't, you don't need a thousand listens. You don't need five million listens, right? If I'm talking about the most intimate topic that only my family will share, but then half of America has listened to it and I'm getting 3,000 listens per episode, that is only a bonus to my intended metric of success. Right. So what is your metric of success? Is it the impact in the community that you are involved in? Is it the number of listens per episode, which is a dangerous one, I must say, because sometimes people don't know how much is a good amount? And if you want that answer, you can probably just email me or tweet at me or something like that because it depends. Mm. And what do you want people to do once they've done listen to your episode? There, there could be success tethered to what's happening outside because a podcast is a contract. You want people to commit to instilling a behavior or a routine throughout their week so that they will listen to your conversation. Mm-hmm. Rumor Roy is a podcast with interviews and conversations with other people for like what? One hour, two hours, mm. right? Yeah. That's, that's a huge commitment, mm. right? That's a huge commitment. And there's, not, there's nothing bad or good or bad or whatever. Mm. It's what you have chosen to do, yeah. right? Yeah. So now you, now you have to filter out for people who are willing 
to listen to the full episode. Yeah, because or, one of the first things, uh, one of the first types of feedback that I got was it's too long. Yeah, right. Exactly. But yeah, that's what I wanted to do. Like you said, that was my metric. I wanted to put out long form conversations, and I knew it wasn't going to be for everybody. Yeah, exactly. Mm. And from there, you want to define whether or not that kind of response is a good thing or a bad thing, right? Those are filters for the kinds of listeners that you want. You want your resident audience, the audience that accepts your behavior currently as a podcaster. A lot of people who have successful shows, they define their metric of success as the number of episodes they put up. Mm. No matter what, I will put up an episode at the end, at Friday at noon. Mm. Boom, episode out, success. Right. Done, right? Boom, episode out, next Friday, success. Done, right? That's So that's one, right? Uh, the second point, we're still on the first question. So the second <laughs> point, which is a, a big mistake, is your launch. Your launch is actually very, very important. Um, and you have this like new and noteworthy section of Apple Podcasts that you want to bring your show into. And you want your first few episodes to be so catchy that your listeners will chime in. They'll listen to episodes one, two, three. And they will decide whether or not to subscribe to you. So when you launch an episode, uh, when you launch a show, please don't launch with one episode. Launch with four. Mm-hmm. Four is the magic number here. Episode one is your introduction show. Mm. It's like, hey, this is this is Norman. Welcome to the whatever whatever show. We talk about the following. Da, 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 da. We will be launching the first three episodes of this podcast on this date. Um, watch out and let us know. And see you in the next episode. Boom. Done. Pretty simple, some music in there, like as a signature. And then on launch day, it's when you have your social media ready, you have your networks ready, your WhatsApp groups you're ready, you have your like your family WhatsApp groups because they spread like wildfire that way. Mm. And you launch all three of your episodes to be released. You have all the show notes, maybe you even have your transcript, and you have a social media copy on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, LinkedIn, whatever. Mm. And maybe you you launch uh, on YouTube as well, a video version. And you post it through all your networks and your friends. And one extra bit is also to get your friends to actually rate your podcast and just put it five stars out of five stars. Because nine times out of 10, when someone stumbles into your Apple podcast page, they don't know your friends. So seeing a lot of five stars on this podcast makes it a really good impression. Mm. And from there, you have a launch. Setting up that launch is a lot of work. Mm. And that is a filter for a successful podcaster who is actually willing to do all of that to launch their show. Mm-hmm. Now, caveat. If you're, if you're not bothered to do that and you only start with episode one and you only get like 10 lessons per episode, but you are having the time of your life, if you're smiling, if you're laughing, if you're enjoying the talks, mm. you are more successful than I am. Mm-hmm. Best, best metric of success ever is happiness. Right. That's the number one metric of success. Um, now, the second question is… What was the second question again? <laughs> I, I think you kind of, What makes a good podcast? Right, right. Um, what makes a good podcast? Oh, uh, many angles to this, really. Because the host has the responsibility to answer this question. And it really depends on the type of show. It really depends on the category. The number one thing you need to do is to never betray your listeners. Mm. If you can't make it for an episode let them know. If you can't get your audio quality properly, let them know. Mm. You try your best. You try to repair it. It still doesn't work. If you're experimenting with a new format, let them know. 
if you are a podcaster and you're releasing your episodes all the time, you have a job outside of the podcast in all of the social media platforms where most of your listeners are gathering in. Podcast growth and podcast marketing. And this is the big secret. And I think I, I have to start like, I have to start like preaching this because people are obsessing with listens. Listens don't matter in the end. Podcast marketing and podcast growth is omni-channel. That's the secret. It depends on number of comments and engagement, number of people willing to share, people willing to retweet, people willing to start discussions from your posts, mm. number of page likes, number of you know, LinkedIn followers, number of Twitter followers on your personal brand, on your personal Facebook page, etc., whatever it is. You need more eyes and those eyes will multiply depending on where all your channels are. But you as a host have the responsibility of having to wrangle and converse and talk with all of these listeners. Mm. Podcast growth is omni-channel. It is not just listens. It is not just downloads. It is not just most effective time when you're listening to a podcast. Because the, num the magic number is like 30 to 40 minutes because that's like uh, most most commuting times. So we don't commute in these days, uh, mm. unpresented at times. But it because it's omni-channel, the numbers on all of your social media analytics are also just as important as your listens. If you are a numbers person, right? right? So don't focus on just your listens. Like your listens should never be the number one factor. It should be only a part of the whole package. And then you decide on, okay, I'm, I'm not getting much engagement on Instagram. Should I continue it? Maybe no. I'm getting more engagement on Twitter. Should I double down on that? Yes, that could be a possibility. You use these numbers to make decisions. Do not use these numbers to amplify your perspective on your show as a failure. Never ever do that. Otherwise, you're better off not continuing the show because that's continuing the show will just make you sad. And I don't want podcasts to make you sad because the activity of podcasting is an amazing journey that everyone should go to. Mm. And even if they stopped, I want them to stop it on a good note, a great note, a beautiful note, and then learn from that as a lesson. Nice, man. I think that's a perfect way to end the podcast for today. Uh, I mean, we normally do recommendations or thoughts, but I feel like this podcast is just filled with recommendations and thoughts. So I, I, I think we can end here. Hey, dude, thank you so much for coming on. I, I really, really appreciate this. Um, it's been a great one. I hope we can do this again soon. Um, yeah and um, to all those listening from myself and Norman we, we hope you're hanging in there we hope you're uh, surviving I mean the MCO regulations are uh, lessening up uh, so you know enjoy those freedoms but of course be cautious and be prudent in the way you exercise those freedoms lah. okay we don't want another MCO <laughs> we're done yeah. we, we're really done with these, these MCOs yeah, guys, I'm going to go out, man. I want to I get my coffee at a cafe somewhere. Please, please stay at home. Stay safe yeah. and wear a mask. Stay good, stay healthy, stay safe. Norman, thank you so much. We are done. Thank you. Yeah.